X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. It's May 4th, 2020. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. Today, back in the day, in 1978, Thomas Edison's phonograph was shown for the first time at the Grand Opera House. And on May 4th, 1923, Benson High School launched Portland's first public radio station and only the second radio station run by an educational institution in the country. That means KPBS is also likely the oldest continuously broadcasting high school radio station in the country. On a personal note, this recorder came in second place in the KPBS spell down in high school. Cortland Cuffey, a top executive for KTU, came in third. And today, back in the day of 1959, were the first Grammy Awards. Ella Fitzgerald brought home a Grammy. May the fourth be with you, as the kids say. And today, we want to send all of our thanks for an incredible spring fun drive for X-Ray. We saw more donations and raised more money than we had before. We recognize the importance of this time, and we really appreciate it. All of those individual acts of generosity continue to inspire us for X-Ray to do more. It's an honor and a privilege, and here's our attempt to do that. Today on The Local, your quick six headlines, Kate Kay's coverage of Saturday's protests in Salem, and an interview with Chris Gorsuch, candidate for Senate District 25. I think a lot of times we tend to think just of our own districts, but we have to also think beyond that to the whole state. First up, today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. Governor Kate Brown has extended the state of emergency regarding COVID-19 another 60 days to July 6th. That's not the same as the stay-at-home order, to be clear. Brown's emergency declaration, originally signed March 8th, was set to last 60 days and expire on May 7th. On Friday, she signed a new order renewing that declaration for another 60 days until July 6th. That means Brown's executive orders linked to COVID-19 can remain in place, including rules around large gatherings, business closures, eviction prohibitions. Brown is able to extend or terminate the emergency declaration at any time. Kate Brown penned that extension a day before a planned rally outside the Oregon Capitol in Salem. Several hundred protesters met at the Oregon Capitol Saturday afternoon to protest the COVID-19 restrictions. For some perspective, in 2002, tens of thousands protested the Iraq War. Called Reopen Oregon, the rally attracted largely right-wing protesters, many of them toting pro-Trump banners, several carrying rifles, and very few wearing any protective masks. Attendees crowded under umbrellas in clusters standing much closer than six feet apart. Meanwhile, Kate Brown has not given the public a definitive timeline as to when her order will be lifted, saying it depends on the regional case data. She'll be listening to the science and the numbers, not just the rallies. On Friday, however, Brown did say that several rural eastern Oregon communities may begin reopening some of its businesses on May 15th. Stay tuned for Kate Kay's piece. She was at the Saturday protests. And your daily dose of data, 45 new coronavirus diagnoses on Sunday, bringing the state's total to 2,680. No new deaths on Sunday. The number of known coronavirus-related deaths in Oregon remains at 109. Sunday marks the first day since April 22nd that the state has not reported any new deaths. More than 62,000 Oregonians have now been tested. In Washington, they just passed 15,000 diagnosed cases and 830 related deaths. Nationwide, there are 1.1 million Americans who have tested positive. More than 60,000 human beings have died. And back here at home, the number of Oregonians sick enough to be hospitalized with the coronavirus hit a new low on Sunday, 92 active hospitalizations. Last Sunday, that number was 128. This is the first time it's dipped below 100. 
Bev Clarno says Oregon has no limits on campaign contributions, despite the Oregon Supreme Court ruling that they are legal. Republican Secretary of State Bev Clarno's staff announced on Friday afternoon that Oregon political candidates in legislative and statewide races can continue to accept contributions that exceed the caps that voters approved in 2006. On April 23rd, the state Supreme Court declared that limits on political contributions are indeed constitutional. However, Clarno and the staff Attorney General Ellen Rosenblum concluded the Supreme Court's ruling on Portland metro area contribution limits does not revive the state-level limits that Oregon voters approved under Measure 47 in 2006. The reasoning is at this moment unclear. And in Multnomah County, a judge ruled that Mayor Ted Wheeler can continue to spend the money he amassed before the Supreme Court ruling. The reasoning was because Wheeler was following a lower court decision that had held local contribution limits to be unconstitutional at that time. On Sunday, the Oregonian released their remaining endorsements for the May primary. That includes Jason Atkinson, the Republican candidate in the primary for the Eastern and Southern Oregon congressional seat. And Nick Hewitts will be the Democrat running in that Republican-leaning district. For Secretary of State, the Oregonian endorsed Mark Hass and Senator Kim Thatcher. And in legislative primaries, they endorsed Kate Lieber, Elisa Bloom, Maxine Dexter, Dacia Graber, Con Pham, and William Miller. We've had a chance to talk to most of those folks. You can listen to those interviews in Vision 2020 on xraypod.com and in the feed right here on The Local. More than 100 Washington State parks made the cut to reopen for day use beginning on Tuesday. Those looking to hike parts of the Pacific Coast and Columbia River Gorge will still have to wait a little longer. On Saturday, Washington Parks and Rec published a list of the state parks will reopen. 24 Washington State parks that will stay closed include all of the parks along the Pacific Ocean, those in the Columbia Gorge bordering Oregon, and a smattering of others where crowding is a concern. That includes Wallace Falls and the Gardner Caves in Crawford State Park. Last week, Oregon State Parks tweeted, We're working daily on plans to reopen some parks for daytime visits, as soon as it's safe to do it, but we don't have dates yet. It'll happen when we can meet health goals and our neighbor communities are ready. Portland police are reporting another uptick in calls during the stay-at-home order. The police bureau said calls for service had initially decreased following the school closure order in March, but calls have begun increasing in the past few weeks. Chief Jamie Resch said in a press briefing on Friday, and I'm quoting, Our calls for service, what we're seeing is they're trending back up. We're almost at what we would consider a kind of normal level for this time of year for a lot of our call types. That means Portland Police is responding to 11 more civil calls per day during the same time period last year. Police had noted a similar uptick in its April 15th trend report. That report suggested people were no longer complying with the mandated stay-at-home order quite as diligently as they previously had been. And ice cream without the line. Salt and straw reopening for pickup and delivery. Living in lockdown just got a little sweeter. You can now shelter in place with salt and straw. Pints of ice cream are available to order on the company's website for delivery or contactless pickup. That's for all Portland area salt and straw scoop shops. The business had shuttered along the West Coast on March 23rd. Like a number of restaurants and bars, they have reemerged with a slimmed down staff in order to fulfill to-go orders. Thank you to Bandcamp, who paused collections from artists on May 1st, generating millions of dollars for artists. They plan to do it again on June 5th and July 3rd. What else is reopening? Oregon universities have announced plans to reopen in the fall. Friday was decision day. George Fox, University of Portland, and the U of O all released statements sharing plans to reopen in fall with in-person classes. And if you want to be titillated with even more good news, the Portland Timbers may start limited practices this week. And thanks to the painters who are beautifying the boards that are boarding up closed business windows. Appreciate you. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. 
Reminder that X-Ray FM is offering free radio spots to businesses and organizations in need from the coronavirus. Just submit to the local at x-ray.fm. Here's the inimitable Emily Gilliland with What's Next. Thanks, Jefferson. Hundreds convened in the rain this Saturday at the Oregon State Capitol in Salem. Families with kids stood amid attendees strapped with semi-automatic weapons, some of whom came to hear radical right-winger Joey Gibson of Patriot Prayer speak. Actually, reporter Kate Kay spoke with participants who gave a variety of reasons supporting reopening Oregon from the COVID-19 lockdown. The rain this Saturday did not deter hundreds of people from convening at the Oregon State Capitol in Salem. Many said they were there in support of reopening the state from COVID-19 lockdown. Some attended to hear a speech from Joey Gibson of Patriot Prayer, a radical right-wing organization associated with hate group The Proud Boys and known to incite violence at political rallies. Some say the group has latched on to the reopen movement in an effort to legitimize its extremist, racist rhetoric couched in patriotism. Indeed, also present were lots of families with kids, small business owners, and others who are frustrated with the state shutdown for a variety of reasons. Matt Kennedy sells real estate. The Marion County resident called the state's response to COVID-19, quote, unprecedented and unwarranted. He said he is concerned about the state lockdown's impact on the economic situation for people who are less fortunate. I'm very comfortable, but not everybody is. Kennedy stood under an umbrella with a friend carrying a sign that declared, Being outside is my health. He said he wished a hike alone would not be treated the same as a sporting event drawing thousands of people. All Oregon state parks will remain closed indefinitely. And you think that policies would have been made that would uh, identify the differences of risk and allow things of lower risk, lower contact, and better health to be put as a priority. The reopened protest in Salem followed a pattern of similar events held across the country in the past few weeks, from New Hampshire to Texas to California. Big-pocketed national groups, including Freedom Works, have promoted reopen events. Like Freedom Works, many attending Saturday's Salem rally framed the state lockdown as a battle for liberty in the face of government tyranny fueled by media-inspired fear of COVID-19. Kim Shellman is a self-described homeschool mom from Banks. She wore a button-down shirt to the rally. She said she wasn't sure about attending because, as she put it, she was worried she'd get herself into trouble. But over the last few days, I decided that it was actually really important. This is an important time in our country right now. She said she is worried about our society's reliance on government, which can lead to excessive state control. But what we really need right now is liberty to get out of this crisis. We need more freedom and not more government crackdown. Shellman, along with the wide majority of rallygoers, did not wear a mask. Few, if any, kept any semblance of social distance. There were a few attendees in camouflage strapped with semi-automatic weapons. Some wore patches indicating association with the Three Percenters, a fringe militia group. Despite the threat of violence, there was little presence from law enforcement. 
there was at least one state trooper vehicle parked near the Capitol building. Frustration about the health of the economy among Salem participants was palpable. Still, some argue the presence of mainstream attendees only gives cover to a violent and racist anti-government movement that helped promote the rally. Worry about the economy was often coupled with other concerns. Some at the rally represented the so-called anti-vaxxer movement against government enforcement of vaccinations. Robin Hudgick said she would prefer that people use their own natural immunity to ward off COVID-19 rather than any potential vaccine. But like many there, the hairdresser from Tualatin just wants to get back to work. Just want to do my job. Just want to be able to pay the bills. A former restaurant owner from Corvallis, Melissa Jones is skeptical of what she called manipulated and inconsistent numbers quantifying COVID-19 related cases and deaths. Now there's an increase, you know, a push for testing. More testing is going to produce more numbers, more numbers of asymptomatic cases that they're using to justify a continued lockdown. A continued state lockdown will lead to what Jones called a, quote, atrophying workforce, paid to stay home rather than work. Another attendee named Anna wore a hoodie, adorned with birds, and perched beside the pickup truck she traveled in from Beaverton. A sheet draped on the back read, Let us out. We are the great outdoors. The unemployed welder declined to give her last name, but she lamented the fact that because of the state lockdown, she's not building floats for one of Portland's most beloved springtime events. My favorite thing to do is build the floats for the Grand Floral Parade, and they're not even doing that this year. Everything's turning into an online thing. I've got kids that love to go out and experience that, and a new one that doesn't even get to experience that. Instead, this June, Anna and her kids will have to resort to making a porch display or shoebox float for the Facebook Live Grand Petite Parade. Reporting from Salem, for X-Ray.fm, I'm Kate Kay. Chris Gorsett, current representative in the Oregon House and candidate for Senate District 25, talks with me about advice for new Oregon representatives working across the aisle for climate change and the power of listening. Senate District 25 spans into East Multnomah County, including Fairview, Gresham, Troutdale, and Wood Village. The district is currently represented by Lori Manis Anderson, a former public health nurse who decided to retire from the position this year. House Representative Chris Gorsick is running for the seat. Representative Gorsick has served House District 49 since 2013. His education includes degrees from the University of Oregon and a doctorate from Portland State. He's a former police officer and current teacher at Mount Hood Community College. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing okay. How about you? Oh, you know, um, i just kind of hanging in there these days. What's getting you through? Um, well, we... Um, we live out in an area here in East County where um, we have some very nice um, uh, wooded greenway right around our house and mm-hmm. a view of Mount Hood. And so, you know, it's a, it's a, a, a nice place to kind of have to be stuck. Um, and then hanging out just with my wife and my uh, two dogs, we, uh, we're just uh, kind of doing our thing on the computer and uh, working on things both, uh, I'm still teaching. Uh, mm-hmm. remotely, mm-hmm. and then uh, hanging out, doing some things with the campaign and the legislative work. Got it. Got it. Yeah, I think 
for me, whenever I look at that mountain, it gives me just what I need, whether it's inspiration, yeah. a sense of, of just the majesty of Mother Nature. That mountain gives me so much. So, Chris, tell oh, us. Oh, absolutely. Chris, yeah. who are you and why are you running? Well, uh, as you were uh, pointing out, I've been a teacher for uh, many years now, since uh, 96 at Mount Hood. Um, I've also been a long-time uh, part-time instructor at uh, Portland State University, mm-hmm. so um, education is extremely important to me, surprisingly. Um, and I am uh, very interested in bringing a uh, a bit more progressiveness to the to, me, to the Oregon Senate, and um, while. We have had our our moments between the House and the Senate. I think that uh, I can uh, bring some positive uh, changes to the Senate to uh, work with some of my other uh, legislative colleagues there. So you've been working in Salem for a while. You know the inner workings of how to create change down there. What's the difference in being a House representative versus a state senator? Well, I think one of the big things is um, to consider that the Senate is uh, half of the uh, House in terms of the size of the chamber. Uh, And so building relationships uh, are extremely important. And uh, while I don't always agree with uh, my friends on on the other side of the fence, um, I have made and um, really cherish a lot of friendships that I have on the Republican side. And I hope to be able to uh, bring that same thing uh, to the Senate, because even if we disagree, there are lots of things that we will agree on, and we can you know, try to forge a way forward um, and you know get some good things done for the state of Oregon. Um, and so that's, that's kind of my plan. I'm uh, very concerned about things related to some of the issues around the environment that uh, we've had serious struggles with recently. Uh, also very supportive of workers' rights, uh, defending the rights of the marginalized, and also uh, protecting uh, reproductive uh, rights. So um, I think that listening and being willing to try and work with the other side when you can, I think is extremely important, and I hope to bring that to the Senate. Mm. What do you do when you can't work with the other side? It feels like Salem has evolved, has changed, has come to a... A, a fork in the road where we figure out how to better work together or something vastly different needs to happen. Well, and I think one of the problems is that um, we face a serious challenge in the uh, legislature in general uh, because we have this odd um, quorum requirement mm-hmm. um, where most um, legislative bodies don't have this. Basically, what happens then is that a small, as we've seen, a smaller group can actually um, bring the whole process to a halt. And so I think it's really going to be important to not only try and work with our uh, colleagues uh, on both sides of the fence, but also to deal with this, um, what's essentially a roadblock. And mm-hmm. um, it's it, you know, based on the idea of democracy, it is supposed to be based on the fact that the majority of folks um, that are sent to the legislature that have a particular um, approach should be able to carry that approach forward. Mm. What have you learned in your time in Salem about working across the aisle? Do you see a new path moving forward if you are the state senator? 
Well, I mean, I think that it's it's super important not, and, and it's, sometimes it's hard, but it's really important to build those relationships. And, and even then, um, when you do have conflicts, you can still um, be civil with each other. Mm-hmm. Um the the problem frequently is that we become very 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 polarized and then we can't see the other view and what you've seen um for instance if you think about um the questions around uh climate change uh we had a huge roadblock there and yet there was another piece of legislation which dealt with uh clean diesel the idea was to um try and get um a replacement of older diesel trucks um, and what you found is that bill passed and it was a bipartisan bill where everybody sat down and really worked hard to uh, craft legislation that could move forward so I don't think it's impossible but mm-hmm. it takes a lot of work mm. what makes a good state senator in Oregon well I think one of the things is um, and, and it's true of any place is that you need to be there um, to help the people in the state. Um, and I think a lot of times we tend to think just of our own districts, but we have to also think beyond that to the whole state, number one. Number two is um, being a good listener mm. and listening to uh, people when they come to you with their with their concerns and their grievances. The, the other thing, though, is to, even if there's nothing that can be done or if it will take a while, we have to be really good about explaining that to people. And I think a lot of times um, that's maybe where we, we fall down a little bit. Most people, even if they disagree with you, if they feel that you've heard them, that you've listened to them and considered what they said, um, it goes a long way towards making them feel better about government. Mm-hmm. And in the end, uh, that's what we're supposed to be about, mm-hmm. um, empowering people, helping people and trying to explain to them how the process works. Um, you know, policing was, uh, has had its uh, similar problems where uh, frequently the law enforcement has not explained what they're doing and why they're doing it. And a lot of times, um, you know, that idea of, look, it's just our job and you don't need to get involved really mm-hmm. builds a wedge. And so I think a good senator is someone who can break through that and focuses on the needs of the district. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. It's not only listening, but reflecting that back so folks know that they're right. heard. How do you, how do you yeah. listen to a constituency as large as Senate District 25? Well, there's a, there's a lot of things that we're doing. Well, okay. even now, you know, one of the problems with um, the, uh, the current status of things uh, with COVID-19 is that many of the things that we would normally do walking, knocking on doors, uh, holding meetings, uh, rallies, things like that. We can't do, obviously. So we've had to shift most of those things to uh, an online format. And so we, uh, uh, my uh, legislative aide um, and I have always been very uh, open about the fact that people can reach out to us and contact us. And there's, Mm -hmm. you know, through the state system, we have a Facebook and a Twitter presence um, all of those sorts of things so that um, we encourage people to uh, contact us. And uh, and I have a great aide. He does a lot of wonderful things um, and is able to help a lot of people. Um, but being 
in the current environment, whether you're campaigning or not, having a good, solid uh, online presence is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we've also been reaching out to different groups and trying to make sure that people have what they need and that they're, you know, all of their needs are being taken care of. As you think forward about your tenure as a state senator, what are your priorities for your first legislative session in that role? Well, I think one of the things is we have to continue working on um, the climate change issue. Climate change is, I mean, it's an existential threat, and we can't afford to um, keep sitting around and, and being blocked in that area. So it will take a lot of work, but I think that we can find a way forward with that. And so what, is, what does I'm, that look like? Do you break it down into smaller pieces? Do you continue to fight for a yeah, more sweeping movement? I, no, I think you're right. I think what you do is you um, you break it into single focused um, approaches to mm-hmm. things, so that it is not the. I think one of the problems with uh, the bills we've had is they've been huge overarching things. Mm-hmm. And I think if you break it down and you make it more straightforward, I think uh, you have a better path forward. And certainly, um, if you take it to um, the voters, and it's this huge, massive complex thing that nobody can make sense of, that's that's a prescription for failure. So I think cutting it down and making it very straightforward. And by the way, I am not criticizing, you know, the folks that have worked on those bills. They they worked very hard, but I, I think making it simpler and more straightforward would certainly um, be a positive thing. Mm-hmm. So I, there's that. Yep. Um, I've done a lot of things with... Um, uh, in the area of, of uh, the judiciary, um, and had a we had two bills that we were successful on. The first bill was a couple sessions back, where we um, we found that um, while we had felons as adults that were being mm-hmm. um, uh, the interviews were being documented by the police when they were arrested. Uh, that wasn't apparently happening always for juveniles. And mm-hmm. so we had legislation that we got passed, and it said for any juvenile in custody um, that was going to be charged with a felony, um, they had to have their interview recorded. Uh, this last long session, we got that passed for misdemeanors as well. And the reason for that is you know, there are some people who like the police, and there are some people who are skeptical of the police. Um, having been a police officer, I um, I understand that dynamic. And so one of the ideas behind having a person uh, interviewed and that documented is that then it, it really helps both sides. If there were problems within the interview um, that were caused by the police, then you're going to have a chance to see that. On the other hand, if the problems were... Um, the juvenile and the parents are making a complaint about the police and then they go and they can look at this um, uh, recording and find out, oh wait, the police didn't do something. To my mind, it's very much like body cameras Mm. where we've certainly heard from some agencies that by having the body camera, it's actually reduced um, the number of complaints against officers because you can go back and look at the tape. So um, that's, I think, really important. So Mm. 
those are some of the things that uh, I hope to keep working on. I've been working on housing issues for a long time and so hope to continue with that. Chris, where can folks find out more about you, your experience, and your campaign? Well, all they have to do is uh, go to chrisgorsick.com and uh, you'll find all of that information. Uh, we do have um, a Facebook presence as well and uh, uh, do Twitter and some of the other uh, social media. But yeah, chrisgorsick.com is kind of the, 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 uh, the main uh, web page. Fantastic. Chris, thank you so much for joining us this morning, and thanks to Jason, your legislative assistant, who uh, has been great to, to coordinate with to make this happen. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate being uh, asked on. Excellent. Thank you so much, Chris. Have a good day. You too. Take care. Again, that's Chris Gorsick, candidate for Senate District 25. You can find out more at chrisgorsick.com. That's G-O-R-S-E-K. And if you're lucky like me and you've gotten that voter pamphlet in your mailbox, Chris can be found on page 50 if you've got the Multnomah County election voter pamphlet. Thanks to Kate and Chris for joining The Local, and thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. we got a new Facebook page. There's several people who have liked it. You can go ahead and like us and share it. You can find it at facebook.com slash thelocalportland. My younger friends say Facebook is for old people. I say, well, I guess it's for Mark Zuckerberg. If you got scoops or story ideas, send us an email at thelocal at xray.fm. We can be together while we're apart. Talk to you tomorrow. In the meantime, stay home, stay connected, and thank you, democracy. X-Ray.